an animator and illustrator and i'm ira marks i write and draw comics and this is a podcast about the mysterious and magical process of bringing cartoon stories to life you're not wrong ira it's actually cartoon feelings oh welcome now (laughs) (laughs) uh we're just diving in at at the top of the show i usually like to you know let people know they can Email us at cartoonfeelingspodcast at gmail.com or they could like write us a review on Apple Podcasts or they can look at our Patreon and get bonus content. But today I just feel like, I mean, what's the point? Because the world is just going to end. Keep anyway. your dollars. Yeah, keep your dollars. Keep up. Uh, you could send us $1 if you wanted to on Patreon. Right but before we blip fine. out of existence. Yeah, it's like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's your dollar. Yeah. It's <laughs> whatever. Enjoy this. So, <laughs> no no good transition. I'm trying to think of a cat soup joke. That's what we're doing. We're doing cat soup today. Hi. Have, has anyone, have you guys heard about this? Crazy stuff. Yeah, welcome to the bathtub. Um, oh my God. So, okay, one of us is going to die. Oh, is that the fun right? reveal at the this end? This is the tie-in. If we were doing a bit, it would be like, you fucking die. Yeah. And uh, I like try to help you, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Now, you would have a 50-50 chance if it was just Caitlin and I, but we actually have a third uh, Oh, that's cat, true. Right? Meow. Yeah. And here with us today is Kelsey Borsch. Hello? Kelsey, are you with Hello. us? Hello. Um, I, can I come off mute? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, meow. you can talk now. Meow. And meow to the... Um, to the anime lovers in the in the room. <laughs> if we have any, because I think this might be our first anime episode. Oh. This is a real whiplash. Well, we did talk about podcast. Akira. Yeah, we've been, I mean, this is like whatever's going on that week is what it is. That's true. A real cat <laughs> soup of a podcast. Yeah, sometimes it's yeah. Scooby-Doo. Sometimes it's uh, nihilistic surrealism from 2001. Those are the same. Which one is, yeah, I was going to say, which one is that? <laughs> you decide There is home. no difference. All right, Kelsey, let's put you in context a little bit. I mean, you see, you seem really fun, first of all, so we'll uh, say that. Thank you. People say that about me all I've the time. I've said it, and I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. Um, hello, I'm Kelsey. Uh, I'm an illustrator. Um, I'm the baby of the group, um, literally and metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> so everyone be nice to me. They would. And, and, um, yeah, what is there to say? So I'm um, I'm an illustrator. I, I actually work with uh, Caitlin, or do you want to, I don't know what you want to be called. I call you CC at work. But Yeah, people call me um, CC. It's cool. Yeah, we I'm work cool. together um, at a secret location. We uh, several, several thousand Hundred miles under the uh, oh, that's under the waterline. It's not. Um, we're not illustrating. We like mine shit down there. Yeah, we actually <laughs> we go to the we go to the mines every day and we go to the and, Discord um, mines. Mine we, pixels. We mine for nitro. That's where the nitro comes from. <laughs> uh, so oh, that's so subscribe. true. That's probably like don't flash forward two years, and that's literally what we're going to be doing. 
Um, I don't the way the, the blockchain <laughs> shit is going. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I'm just really jaded. I hate everything going on on the internet right now. And Silicon okay. Valley scares well, we'll me. No, this isn't, this yeah. isn't no, like any quick segue. <laughs> this isn't insider info or anything. I'm just like, I, uh, I'm, I'm afraid of technology. <laughs> um, okay, well, welcome anyway. to this Tech Central podcast <laughs> where... Yeah, but we, the secret um, is to make tech afraid of you. No, and that's what I'm out here trying to do. We're here to talk about the emotional side of it all. That's yeah. true. I'm in it right now. So, uh, so Kelsey, you you love to you like to draw. I I was looking at what I think is probably your website. You have like a, a cool comic on there that I was. Oh reading. yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I um had been working on a comic about five months ago, and maybe I'll start working on it again soon. Um, Please do because I've been faithfully reading every panel, like when you would post them on Instagram, and I'm like, I've wanted to ask you about it for so long, but <laughs> respectfully, I've maintained my distance. Yeah, I'm actually so. waiting for um, AI technology to develop a little bit further, so I can just start outsourcing everything directly God, to. Don't make um, me take you all back and just end <laughs> this before it begins. Yeah, uh, so that's like you know, this is all kind of like a a. a uh, um, cyclical in nature of this conversation is just going to keep coming back to the love and hate of um, AI technology in similar to the way that uh, cat soup is a, a sort of binary between um, the cycle of life or death. Sure. Is that how we're going to start this? Well, uh, no, I don't know. Delete, you can go delete. there if you want. <laughs> Starting over, erase that. No, that's fine. We can I wish, start. Well, I think the first question before we get into what does this all mean is um, when we have a guest on, we let our guests pick what they want to talk about. And then we oh, like very rush to catch up or we already know it. Um, yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle with this one. So I'm curious. Uh, first question for you, Kelsey, is why cat soup? You know, what's it mean to you and why are we here tonight? Uh, all right. Well, um, it's cat soup because Caitlin wouldn't let me talk about the other thing. That no, that's not to- true. <laughs> um, that'll be for my plugs. But uh, yeah, so my, my my cat soup origin story is kind of, um, I mean, dweeby, if, if you can believe that. Um, I think I was like at the ripe old age of 12 or 13 when I first discovered it. Mm. And I kind of came across it by chance. Um because it was, there was like a, some, I think it was a Lincoln Park AMV. Um, it was a Lincoln yes, Park Yes, I think we, yeah, there's a Lincoln Park AMV that was featured in a YouTube ser- series called AMV Hell 3, which was, I think there's like seven or eight of them now. There's a lot of rings of this hell, but the, uh, the, the general, uh, I honestly don't know a ton about it. It was kind of like this weird ephemeral thing that existed on the internet to me as like a, a preteen, but it was a collection of like curated clips from AMVs, which are anime music videos, if anybody doesn't know that. Um, but yeah, so there was this one clip that was featured and it was like, you know, Linkin Park playing in the background, super moody. And at the beginning is this scene, um, is the scene that starts the movie where um, Nyata is like in the bathtub and like falls in and is kind of wriggling around mm-hmm. and spoiler alert. Um, and there's a, uh, and then it like immediately segues into the two cats kind of like cresting the horizon in this one scene. And then you see all these like guys in masks on, um, on stilts, like walking across like a water top. And I was really, really curious about what that was. So I kind of dug around until I found this uh, series and watched it and just kind of instantly became obsessed with it. So um, it is like, and 
lucky for me and everyone else, it's only like 30 minutes long mm-hmm. if you cut out like the, the opening sequence. Um, and it is like pretty easy to find on the internet, like low quality versions, sure, but it's consistently been on YouTube for like the last 10 years. And you so... can find a wonderful 4K <laughs> version on YouTube oh, yeah. as well that clearly hasn't been interpolated in any way. <laughs> yeah, interpolated by AI technology. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just like run through waifu 2x like... For I don't know for being rendered on a computer for like five hundred. If you want to take crisp nights, screenshots, but... I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's um, that for you. Sorry, I'm trying so hard not to go off topic with this one, but uh, I, CC, we could do this forever. <laughs> we'll rein you in. If yeah, you try so... too far, I'll be like, whoa, whoa. Um, but yeah, so I was I was really captivated by it, um, and I this was also kind of the period of time in my life where I was deciding that my identity was was as that of an artist and that I was going to I guess brand myself as a mentally ill teenager which is like mm. not really hasn't really changed um that much since then but um yeah the the um the sort of like surreal nature of the part that I was exposed to and then also like the the movie just obviously dripping with mental illness and like Mm -hmm. sort of like this nihilistic worldview just really appealed to me at that time. So uh, it was a match made in heaven, I guess. And I've kind of, I think I've watched it like every single year since that. And I've shown it to classes. I've sent it to pretty much every guy I've ever dated Mm -hmm. um, and forced a lot of people to watch it with me over the years. And um, I never get sick of it. It's like, I have a really hard time rewatching movies, but this, this one is just so like, nothing I mean like it's it's kind of a series of vignettes nothing really happens over the course of the movie things are just kind of always happening so you can kind of always dip back in and be surprised by it yeah there's a lot of ways to watch it I think every I feel the same way that's like a good way to describe it every time I put it on I kind of have a different journey um, because it just doesn't tie itself to like a a narrative yeah it doesn't like (laughs) captivate you in that way it captivates you in like the weird juxtaposition of scenes like what is happening and sometimes how disturbing it is but so casual yeah (laughs) yeah it's like the type of thing that fits right on that line where at first glance you're like oh kid stuff and then you're instantly you're like oh not kid stuff should i be watching this in and then way, it's too late. You're already watching it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like so much, like 20 minutes later, you've watched the whole thing. Um, so what about you, Caitlin? Well, where- I'm a little disappointed that I didn't, I had like heard of this. I think I'd seen the cover. I was like, yeah, I know that's a thing. That's yeah. it. I didn't know anything else about it. Until so, you were just like, I looked, I'd talk about this. And I was like, okay, shit. Cause like, I'm not familiar really at all. Um, and I don't remember what his like actual title was, but the guy who did uh, animation stuff for this. Yeah, um, he was the, I think it was the like lead storyboard artist, but he also had a huge hand in writing the screenplay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, he was very involved, but he's like not credited as like the director. So I wasn't, but Masaki Uasa, I've seen a lot of his movies. Actually, the first thing I'd ever seen of his was his Adventure Time episode. Like he did one. Oh yeah. The the Circle of Life one. Yeah. And honestly, it reminds me a lot of this. Like there's things in that. I remember watching that episode actually. And I was like, I hate this. Like this is so off-putting. And I've grown to really like his work, but just like it provokes that reaction. But I wish I'd seen it when it had come out or like at a younger age, because I think I probably would have felt about it the same way when I was constantly like checking the weird channels, trying to find like weird shit to watch on TV, like not really finding that much. Um, Somehow not getting into like 
any of that weird YouTube culture. Maybe I was like a little bit too late for that. And I was, I've never been like a big YouTube person anyway. Um, but so this thing just like completely passed me by and yeah, I had, I did not know what to expect and it wasn't what I was expecting really, I guess either. So this has been a trip for me. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a very interesting journey. Uh, as but someone who's I've seen it like 500 times, I really want to hear like what your, like you watched it like last night, right? Yes, and, I've watched, so. I've seen it once. My first thought is that I sat down to watch it in the living room and Neil sort of like passed through at one point and uh, I was like, I hope he doesn't watch this with me because I don't know what it's going <laughs> to be like and I don't want to like talk about it. <laughs> I'm just like not ready. And he did it. He just like was doing other stuff anyway. So it didn't come up like we didn't discuss this at all. Um, but at the end, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of glad, though, because I don't want I'm not ready. Like, I need to unpack this. Yeah. I can't I don't have anything to say to another person about it yet because I'm still like thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found it like visually very creepy and disturbing. Um, it's another one of those things I watch where I'm like, man, I really wish somebody would pay me money to do something like this. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's something that I'm just going to keep thinking about even though like I I want there to be a story <laughs> and there's not one. Like, and you can't put one. I mean, you can't really put a narrative on this because it, it just like slides right off sort of just the way that it like skips through time and like weird scenarios. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like... But what did it mean? And it's interesting to me, too, because, like, I don't normally feel that way about stuff. Like, I've talked on this show before, I think, about how I, like, really don't like David Lynch movies because they just feel like bullshit to me. And I guess you could probably easily make the argument that this is the same sort of thing. But I'm like, no, it's rich with meaning. But I'm just like... Yeah, they do kind of have, like, a similar... Like, they they both feel like uh, like some weird person, like, took them out of the closet and, like, brushed them off and, like, put them in front of someone. And they were like, ah! (laughs) What do you think about this? Yeah, yeah. Or it's just like, like somebody's like, I made this and I have zero interest in remotely addressing anything about it in an open way. And so part of me is like, I hate that generally in the world, but not with something like this. With this, I'm like, I'd like to engage with this further. Like, I need to know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but we'll, uh, there's a lot of a darker background. Oh, yeah. This is going to be this work. I, yeah. I think we probably like for research, we probably all ended up reading the same pages because there's so little information. Yeah. Translated yeah, I was into wondering, English about Byron the and I have not talked about it yet, but I, d- I know that Kelsey and I found the same research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. I was just scouting the internet for information. And, like, it's just crazy because I, I just feel like I'm watching this and I'm like, yeah, something weird is going on. I don't know what it is, but, like, something's not right. And it's, that's exactly the case. And there's not really, like, you were talking earlier about how it feels, like, on first impression, you're like, oh, a kid's show. But, like... Watching it even for one second, I think it starts to become evident that something is wrong. Just in like the the way that the colors are used and the way that atmosphere is created in each of the shots. Um, in that, like it kind of breaks uh, it breaks like framing conventions for anime. So the second you see it, you're like, oh, this is like it, it's shot more like a documentary than it is like an anime, you know? And yeah, um, yeah it's like the the lack of sound, like the way the characters move. It it just immediately becomes. Uh, surreal you know um like i mean the i think it's odd sorry there's a train going by that's not an issue but the um like a the whole the whole thing there's like um i really don't like to describe it that much because the whole thing feels like magic a bit and it like i i like to avoid putting any narrative meaning onto it beyond just saying like literally what i saw literally what happened in it 
but uh, the I guess like words that come to mind to describe it are like surreal, obviously dreamlike. And I think all of this stuff is really intentional. And when you go back to talk about the source material that it comes from, there's like really good reasons for why that is the case. And um, I think the production of it is really interesting because this is um, an adaptation of original source material that was made by a different artist. And so like, you know, there's the question of like how much of this is authentic to the original work and then how much of it is something that was imposed by uh, like the producers of like who were trying to give it a vibe indicative of the original person. And it is like there's a lot of transformative uh, stuff going on in it that doesn't like isn't truthful to the source material, even though it is based on I'm trying not to say too much about it at this point. But the um, yeah, there's there's like. You can't really look at it and say like, haha, this is Nekojiru work because it is like through the lens of like a different writer, like two different writers who like collaborated to make this. And so um, in the same way that it is an adaptation, it also feels like commentary on the artist itself. Um, and yeah. I think that there is like a lot of stuff that happens in uh, Cat Soup that like once you start to read more about the original artist, Nekojiru, um, you'd start to see like why they were making certain decisions, like why some characters were dead and some were alive, why some were leaders and some weren't, why there were these like overarching themes of dreamliness and life and death. And, um, and yeah, there's a, there, it's, it's not a faithful reproduction in that way. Um, but there's like a lot of different layers you can peel back and like look at from different angles that I think is really interesting now that I know a little bit more. All right. So let, let's look back but before we talk about the short, because like you're saying, what the short becomes is barely an adaptation and like a reflection on like a creative life. Uh, like almost, it's like kind of a memorial in a way. Yeah, this so, is like a mm -hmm. love letter and yeah. like a sad. So to for for somebody that either has never seen this is just listening because they're one of those people that listen uh, to podcasts. That Welcome. They seen. Or they've <laughs> we'll seen it, but the they don't count. know. Like for me, I've I've seen this a number of times. I don't know oh. where I. Uh, hell yeah <laughs> i don't know where we i came got a fan <laughs> i don't know where i came across this for the first time but i um it's just something that like caitlin was saying kind of resonates with like its own strangeness that doesn't have answers but like opens the door enough where you, it's always sort of there unresolved so that's how i've always felt about this it's not something i watched every year but it's something that i'm like i kind of wish i had in a selfish way like a context to make something as strange as this because it almost is unbound to anything really other than to be something about the love of something else. So the comic late nineties, uh, the artist Neko Jiru, she makes along with her husband, who's the artist, uh, the illustrator. Um, she basically has this long running series of, manga that seem to be described i i don't know if either of you have read any of them i looked up like we some have image of, yeah of i looked yeah up i read a, a good chunk of i think like nekojiro udon and nekojiro dango and then all of nekojiro uh jiru diary but yeah um okay so yeah, do you, you want to like paint us a picture oh, of um, sure. vibe over all of, of them because i've only seen a couple and i've more read about them than read any of them so yeah it's um it's dark. It's well. We were talking about it before as like 
like late 90s Japanese happy tree friends. Yeah, it's like almost exactly <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I which did I like fucked up couldn't actually. watch that show, but Mm-mm. yeah, I, I, it's it's a lot more palatable in that way. I think it's um I mean, to to give you kind of a breakdown of what might happen in one of the Neko Jiru comic strips, there might be like let me recall one I think where there's some the cats, th- this cat family, it's like mother, father, younger brother, older sister. And um they are in their house hanging out and then there's like they have a pig pen inside with like two parent pigs and two baby pigs kind of like mirroring the family um but there's like clearly a a, a an obvious like status between the two like we've got like one is predator one is prey right so there's a lot of like predator prey stuff going on in these uh in these comics and inevitably cruelty so they're like the characters will hang out with the pig and they're all children. So there's like this innocence to them and they're you know, hanging out, doing fun stuff. And then um, the pig is like, what are you eating? It looks so tasty. And the cats are like, oh, try it. And then the parents get mad and they're like, don't feed the pigs your delicious food. They're pigs, they eat pig food, you know? And then the mom is like, oh, and go get that, go get your friend. Like we're gonna make tonkatsu tonight, you know? And then like, they like feed some of the tonkatsu to like the baby pig while like and it and the, the baby pig is just like happily munching away on its like older sibling as a tonkatsu cutlet like while the mom and dad pig are like banging behind them and there's just like yeah it's it's violent it's morbid um and it's also very like it comes from this mind that's very cynical of the nature of the world and human society and so there is like this kind of honesty that tells about the cruelty of our world through these characters that have like a more obvious hierarchy between them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I, I don't have as much trouble with the comic, but like the adaptation, uh, Nekojiro Gekijo, which was, I think um, it came out a year before, a year after the, uh, her last comic. I find that one really hard to watch because it is just like, so cruel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you, I um, I hadn't even known that it was adapted, and you mentioned that to me. So I'm watching. That was like I'd watched those before I'd actually read any of the comics, and they're very faithful adaptations, actually, because I found a comic version of one of those shorts yeah, that's yeah. like almost identical in every way, like in the framing and everything. And the first one I saw was the one where the cat families were like, "Okay, we're all going to go out hunting," and the dad has a gun, and the kids are like out there out in the woods. And then the kids get separated and they're like playing in the river and they meet this guy who's not a cat. He's this like other kind of animal and he's sitting there fishing and they're chatting and they're just like having a conversation. And then the dad comes up and shoots him in the back of the head and his face like explodes (laughs) with red blood. And it turns out that they were going out to like hunt tanukis and to eat them. And I was like, holy shit. And the cat, the kids are just so casual about it. They're like, oh, huh, weird. Yeah. Like it's not a big deal. And it is like, there's something about it that just like twists the stomach a little bit as you're watching because it's so cutesy. And, but then this like horrible thing happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's inexplicable. And I still, so I'm very fresh and new to this whole like fandom and everything. But the fact that this became so popular at a certain period of time that where it was like sweeping over Japan and there's like merchandise everywhere. But I was like, why? Like, I kind of get it. I kind of see it. Mm-hmm. And the USS had some similar stuff, but not quite the same. But just like I sort of understand the global appeal. But I'm like, but this is so fucked up, you guys. Like, why is it uh, so Yeah, weird? I think I, I remember the 90s having a lot of like these like sort of guru aesthetic, like uh, like a grumpy bear or like i think there was a lot like tokidoki or yeah. like all the gory tokidoki stuff am i misremembering this was there like a gory tokidoki 
Um, you are probably right. Well, even then, like, I, wasn't I don't this know, was but kind of around yeah, the same that time that, thing. like, Happy Tree Friends was a thing? Like, there was just yeah. cute fucked up stuff, like, was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. There totally. was, like, it was, like, very, like, everything is, like, it's, like, your guts are coming out, but your guts are candy aesthetic. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so this this comic ran in Garo magazine for, what is it, like, two years, gets really popular. I think there's something to be said for... Um, things like this, a, a, a lot of '90s comics I was reading. Like, there's a book called Johnny the Homicidal Maniac that kind of plays uh-huh, with, yeah. you know, yeah. cartoon, like deep, dark journalistic thoughts. Um, that book has a bit more character growth for him, which is probably why that creator goes on to like do a really mainstream TV show. But just reading about the artist. Um, there's just something very sad about her commitment to this project because. You know, like we we were saying, there's probably like one essay we all read. I found this on blog.animationstudies.org. And it basically goes on to point out that a lot of her friends were would describe her as like someone who was overworked, overly popular, but really committed to not saying no to anything, which I think for creatives, especially when you're trying to build a career, is like something you have to really unteach yourself, the like how to say no to things. And it's like she never got a chance to escape that form. Um, so there's just, I feel like it comes through in what what I've seen of the work, this like commitment to the bit and the deep dive into her own psychology, which is what makes it interesting, but almost like going there too often or something. I don't know. This is just me speculating on, you know, kind of why this all resolved in the way it did for her, um, which is. Yeah. Can we just say it? Can um, we just get that on the record? That... Yeah, should we should we content warn warn this? Uh, yeah, this is maybe the most be... serious topic I guess we've talked about. I don't know that like IRL stuff, not that is in the content of like whatever film we're watching. So yeah, um... yeah. So Nico Nico Jiro died of suicide in May tenth, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, like we said, there's not a whole lot of research about this, and I'm like personally not interested in making this like the story of of someone's death. But I think it's just important because like we were saying the animation doesn't happen without this moment like it, if it was adapted it would have been adapted totally differently by somebody else in a different context so uh, you know it has to kind of be said but uh you know i think it's just it's tragic in that uh she was really young and you know left a loving husband up behind and also the the kind of burden of creative success is just like a tough thing to think about when a lot of us think about how we want to be successful <laughs> with our work. Yeah. Well, so that, so that's kind of me and my thoughts on it. Um, I don't yeah. know. But. So now I, I think maybe I've watched something that you haven't, which I think is a rarity on this podcast. So I'm counting yeah. it as a and, win And also for that me. story we both read. Um, um, yes, which I'm trying to find right now online and I can't, but I know it's there. So if you... Not a story per se, but um, Nekojiru had this close friend named, uh, give me a sec to pull up my notes, Yoshiaki Yoshinaba, who I think was a writer for Garo magazine. And like they originally met just like meeting through, I think through her husband. Yeah, he discuss, like contracted like, him to work comment. on yeah. stuff and was like an editor of some kind, like edited different magazines and stuff. And they became yeah. personal friends, like of his, their family. Yeah, and and she had very few friends. Like she had like two or three friends of note in this story. But um, he, so again, like very very. This is like heavy stuff. But um, uh, Yoshiaki Yosh, uh, Yoshiaki Yoshinaga. Yeah, that he um wrote a, a kind of a, a letter 
to and about Nekojiru um, after his own wife also committed suicide, I think six years after Nekojiru did. And um, so there was a lot of reflection here. Just a lot of, it's, it felt a lot like him processing his own sadness and kind of reflecting on this. But um, that, that letter gave a lot more context to just kind of what kind of a person Nekojiru was in life. And like, I thought what really struck me about my own perception reading that is that like, before I had read more about her as a person, and especially with this letter, I kind of assumed that she was just this like tortured genius, Mm. you know, struggling with mental illness, um, working on her passion projects alone in the dark, you know, and like the kind of uh, the romanticized idea of like the artist, the, the you know, the, the lady comics artist like in the 90s. Right. But reading more about her, it she became like, I don't know. I you know she reminds me of my friends. Like she's not like this artist up on a pedestal anymore. She's just like a weird person who likes EDM and like doesn't have any friends and like by all accounts, like had a kind of like fucked up life either because of who she is and how she associates with others and surely like lots of trauma and also like kind of probably, probably influencing her her demise quite a bit was like this sort of uh, toxicity of work culture and like the pressure to produce, which we all, we all know that like being a comic artist is horrible for you. (laughs) It's horrible for your body unless you like are very diligent about keeping up with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like she and her husband were both manga artists. And so and I, I don't know about her family background, but it doesn't sound like she came from much money at all. And so I think they were both used to being very poor all the time. And so we're very um yeah, very it was difficult for them to say no to work because there was this like virtue to money and like this fear that it seemed like this fear that, you know, they if they didn't take it then they yeah. wouldn't yeah, like, yeah, that feast or famine sort of thing, but it's like mostly famine. I think manga, uh, in, a, in a way that's unlike America, it, it can be a real working class career path. Like historically, when you read back through like a book like A Drifting Life, which is about like the life of a manga artist and just the the regiment of making the work, it seems like it's not so much about following a passion and then f- being lucky enough to enter an industry that you like. It's about like, just getting a job and doing the job every day. And great work is made that way, but it's um, when it's described, it just feels very different than how Americans go about their like narrative art pursuits. So I feel like that's probably even a bit of it too. The pressure, like you're saying, the pressure to do the work, I feel like would be at even a higher level than someone, like I was saying, like Johan Vasquez yeah. and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. He made like six of those books and then went on to like get a bunch of production through an animation project. It's just such a different scenario than someone who, you know, probably needs the money, is taking advantage of like being popular in a, in a moment. And also the amount of work that needs to be done in that time is probably, it's just like too much well, the thing for that a young person. Yeah. really interested me. And I also, uh, I watched a documentary that I found on YouTube that was clearly uploaded from being ripped off of like a, Somebody taped this off of Japanese television onto VHS tape. There are like fleeting bits of commercials in between breaks that they like hastily cut out. Um, Because like went to a ramen commercial and I was like, is this part of the documentary? And then it like quit halfway through the commercial. Like, no, it's not. So this is incredibly like low quality. I don't even remember the name of it. 
but it auto-played after I finished Catsoup. I think it was just called like the ne- the death of yes, Nekojiri. Yeah, and it's like one of the only like pieces of, and I think like, I don't even know if it is like quote unquote officially translated or not. I think it might just be through like auto-translated closed captions on YouTube. There were actually big chunks of it, of that documentary where it's panning over like written text in Japanese that is not translated. Or sometimes a person will like, say what is obviously like two sentences or more and there is no translation so it is but a lot of it is translated and her husband is in it he like never really shows his face a lot of people that it doesn't even really explain who they are um i'm pretty sure this yoshiaki is in it as well it does but they're not translated (laughs) Uh, yeah it's like it doesn't say uh but what people would say about her was quite unnerving to me like everybody sort of had this Everybody had different things to say, but it was very, like, I don't know. Like, she just was one of those people. Like, it's almost, this sounds, this is a fucked up comparison, and it's not great, but just, like, the way that people talk about Steve Jobs, where everybody's like, oh, he just has this aura about him. Like, she had the same impact on people, where people just felt a vibe from her that was very powerful, and they all felt it in, like, they were in different ways, but even people that were her friends were like that. But what was really interesting is like a lot of people talked about how like she didn't even want to be doing this. Like she seemed like she didn't want to be doing not like uh-huh. I don't know if she was ever like, "Oh, fuck this, like I hate manga." Like I don't know. But she definitely was like, "I'm tired of doing this. Like I don't really want to do it. I want to move away to a developing country with like the money I've made and like yeah. not doing this anymore." Mm-hmm. And like it's interesting to me because she never really the only information that you can find about her education is like she went to a beauty school when she was oh, like I a teen. Wow, I missed that. Yeah, and like no one ever talks about that ever again. Although they often talk about how plain she is, like and unassuming. I just find that a very yeah. interesting contrast. Yeah. Uh, and then you know she, like she is vibes. in this marriage with her husband, who like also uh, just like it's very fascinating. Because he's like, we weren't very close, but like we loved each other a lot and we understood each other, but like we weren't close. And I was yeah. like, what does that mean? Like, what does this mean? I, but then, like, so there was something about them like... that kept them together. And then I think she started doing manga because he was doing it, not as a copycat thing, but because maybe it made sense hmm. as a way to make money or something, or they're going to try out this venture in some way. Because uh, I looked it up, I didn't realize this initially, but the first comic. And maybe this went on for a while. I don't know. But she did the art for it. Like, he helped mm-hmm. her. They were collaborating on it. But she wrote the story and she did the art. And you can tell the difference. Because I looked it up. It's just as fucked up story-wise as all the other ones. Um, like, a baby cat gets killed and, like, turned into soup. Like, that's mm-hmm. whatever. But it's, like, you could just see the difference where the the illustrations that are in Cat Soup is short. And, like, the later comics, they're very crisp and, like, very graphical. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have this quality. It feels a little more, like, childish and free, basically. Yeah. But at some point, she was like, I'm just writing it, like, and my husband is drawing it. I don't know the details about all that. But, like, no one at any point ever gives the impression that she's actually very invested in, like, the artistic side of things. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just even... Yeah, no. I think she just did it because it was, like, what she does. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, a compulsively well, out of... Because it was, like... And I think this is a thing a lot of artists... Natural born art. I'm just kidding. Uh, identify ones. with, but it's like she especially like it seemed like she had a lot of difficulty interfacing with the world around her, and like being able to draw her thoughts out as comics was kind of a part of how she processed the world around her, and also like communicated with the world around her. I mean, maybe not. It doesn't seem like she actually gave a fuck about communicating, to be honest. But like she, you know, she was that was like her way of her way of externalizing things, and um, 
maybe, and I could just be projecting at this point, but yeah, she, it didn't, it seemed like she didn't really have like much, I mean, if there was purpose behind it, uh, it was very internal, but um, the sort of motivations that one might normally quote, like saying like, oh, I want, I want my work to be popular. I want to impact people. I want to inspire mm. people. I want people to like my work. It doesn't seem like any of those came from her. She just did it because it was what she did. Yeah, Yoshiaki was like, she could not care less, like did not care. Like that if if a pop, like a famous pop star approached her on the street, and I think this was just a hypothetical, it didn't actually happen, but that she would just be like, I this means nothing to me. Like I register yeah, you just as any other Yeah, the only thing she cared about person. was Aphex Twin. Oh cool. yeah, she was obsessed with Aphex Twin. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and and uh, drinking. Yeah, she loves right. Jack Daniels. That was something that yeah. apparently she wrote into one of the comics, I think. <laughs> she yeah. loved Jack Daniels. <laughs> Uh, so I, in terms of her tor- storytelling, I think it's a fair assessment to say that this is like her um, trying to to figure out the world, like to communicate to herself. I think there can be a difference of like when you're telling a story for other people and when you're telling to yourself. And this is one of those comics that feels like somebody talking to themselves about like yeah. dreams, life, what it means, where do I fit? So I'm curious... Kelsey, in your reading of the comics, so is um, Nayaku the the boy cat? I think he's is he always a boy? Is he a boy in the comics? There's um the old the older well yeah the older character who's kind of like her self insert is uh, Nyako and that's the older sister and then the okay. and Nyata is like the is the younger brother. Yeah. So it's kind of like they're they're not cats in the way that we know cats, and they the humans in the world don't seem to ignore see them as cats like their their own thing in a world of humans right like they're yeah. they're kind of like it's almost like a kind of fish out of water ish if you were to go with the really generic like trope is that kind of how a lot of the stories play uh yeah i mean i think like, like in terms of point of I, view is is that what i'm kind of getting at yeah yeah they they all they're coexisting in a kind of like I mean, I feel like being kind of furry adjacent on the internet it is just like, I don't even have words for it. I'm just like, yeah, it's kind of like furry. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, there's like um, animals, like trying to find other things to compare it to, but it. Um, I feel like you could say that it's like Zootopia if the animals yeah. actually just <laughs> eat each other sometimes. Yeah. And they shot each other with guns. I don't know. But I do think it's like they're um, cats. They're not humans, but they're also yeah. humans kind of. And everyone knows their cats. Right. They do talk about it, but it's just kind of in this like assumed sense of the universe. Like, honey, those are cats. Of course, they're going to eat a bird and then they walk away. You know, it's like they're just kind of a part of this world. Um, and like, I ugh, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of want to like mentally make these like assumptions that she's trying to talk about. Like, like classes, hmm. races, thing, like all of these sort of like cultural um cultural others like in Japan and in, and I think because like a lot of her writing was in response to like her contempt for the way that society is structured mm-hmm. um that it, it seems like there is some commentary on uh the, the parts of society she hated through that like structuring of like predators and prey and then like you know the, the sort of like vicious abuse of the the nature of living mm-hmm. um in her characters uh and I, I kind of don't know if, like, there's that much thought put into it. Like, I think this was just kind of a natural way of communicating her feelings of, like, the way that society is structured. Mm-hmm. 
but she did like you know go, Cece we were talking about that where she's like obsessed with go- moving to the, a third world country she, she was like mm-hmm. obsessed with like going to India and living in India moving to India and it seemed like she really rejected like Japanese society and wanted to return to something else um, and like I, I I think that that is reflective of her creating these different like different like types of creatures living in this world together right they're they're like exploring different ways of existing in society mm-hmm. and like helping her give form to like the parts of society that she wants to critique well the thing that makes it super interesting to me is that it's very hard to tell what she wants because uh, some of this i only saw when it was like pictured in the documentary they walk through a few of her comics so i haven't fully read it but she did um she had like the juju diary like she would do travel diaries essentially that also would like go on to be like illustrated and published in various forms. And she went to India on vacation with her husband, saw a bunch of weird stuff, I guess that she wrote about and was in this. And there was like a panel that they threw up during this documentary where it's like her cat self insert going something like Japan would be so much better if it was as fucked up as India is like, it just said <laughs> that. it definitely said like India yeah. is fucked up. And I was like, I don't know what you want. Like, I cannot. And I think that's why I just find her so fascinating, where normally I'm not honestly that interested in figuring out what is going on in, like, an artist's head. And I was just like, yeah, what do you, I think she what wanted are you anarchy. looking for? Like, I don't. <laughs> she wanted destruction. Yeah, like, something is wrong. And I see that. But I cannot figure out. And that's probably her issue also, is that she couldn't figure that out. But mm. it, I find yeah. it just very, like, hard to look away from that. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like she felt very trapped in the world that she lived in and like she couldn't exist in that world, you know? I think everybody turns into something, uh, you know, like you can kind of pick this up from listening to interviews with people that get famous really young, like a, a Kurt Cobain or like a Bob Dylan. The way they become, the way they engage with people that want answers out of them, like when you watch, well, we were saying it right up top with Cat Soup, you kind of want something more than is fair to ask of this movie, like a story, or even to describe it, you kind of aren't making any sense because of its surrealist nature. Like it's not meant to be talked about, but it's a thing you want to talk about. (laughs) Because I'm thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. like, I could imagine being somebody that um, kind of works in the way she was working and then being asked to, I don't know, like play a certain role in a system that she isn't designed to be in. And you just become... an outsider in a different way where like a Bob Dylan gets really weird and he lies a lot or like Kurt Cobain (laughs) gets even sadder than he already was you know like it it can it just seems to really mess people up um yeah well it does you could argue I think that her getting famous was like maybe the worst thing that could have happened I don't know like I can't know the details but like she was by all accounts incredibly reclusive Mm -hmm. did not enjoy scrutiny and did not really like to interact with people yeah so everybody liking her stuff all over the whole country and it blowing up was probably very harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, there were some, I'm going to keep going back to the story, but there were kind of just like her friend was talking about, like in the last few weeks before she committed suicide, she was in deadline mode. She was like, Mm. you know, awake for 30 hours a day (laughs) and then like, like binge sleeping to recover and like, she and her husband were like at each other's throats all the time. And it was just really corrupting them as individuals trying to keep up with this pace. And like on top of that, it just seems like she wasn't built for that kind of lifestyle. Like she was somebody who did not like the expectations of her society that like, she, you know, the, there were little bits talking about how like 
when she and her friends were hanging out, they were all just like drinking and smoking weed and like listening to like EDM, right? And like in their apartment for like hours overnight. And it kind of seemed like that was the natural state that she gravitated toward. Mm -hmm. Um, But then this world of like having client meetings and having an agent and having to like run stuff to the publisher and take, you know, just all of this like business management and the really tight uh, turnaround. Like she was much more fluid in how she wanted to live her life. And so it, it felt like, well, it feels like um, just like on top of her already not feeling much synchronicity with society around her, she was further pushed into smaller and smaller boxes that did not fit her mm-hmm. um, until her end. Yeah. So it, at this point, you know, while I guess emotions about this are still raw, um, you know, a product, I don't remember the name of the studio that puts this out. Uh, mm. Is it like Casey Staff was like a term I came anyway doesn't matter couldn't um, tell you but we have uh setsuo tetsuo who's the director had done a work of hers before so this is the first piece that's like um after her death so my understanding is like he goes to the husband to get basically the rights he brings on his own co-writer and then it's basically they are going to use whatever they want from her materials to kind of just create a, a film inspired by this. Um, I guess they describe it as, this is kind of a quote, want, they wanted to create a visualization which would be parallel to the world she had built. So it's like they're, they're not trying to adapt it. They're trying to like reflect on it, which kind of makes sense in the way, you know, you write a biography of someone after they passes, like you tell their story from like your point of view. Yeah, this is so, very much yeah. like a, uh, we say this a lot, a vibe. But it's yeah. like her specific vibe. <laughs> it is. Where they were like, let me, yeah, I'm just going to put a mirror up in front of all that and animate it really well. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And there's some like, uh, I mean, like maybe this is the part where we talk about the actual. Yeah, let's um, kind of move into like the look Nikki of Jitos. it and then we can get into the story. Yeah. Yeah. Something I don't like, so I can, I don't, I don't, I can't speak speak Japanese, but I can read some and I know some of it, like maybe like a year's worth of casual research. And like one thing that's interesting is like, so her name is Nekijiro. Nekojiro. Wow, fuck. Neko Nekojiro. Right. And so um usually like an edition of her work would be like Nekojiro Udon, Nekojiro Dango. Usually like food related things. The uh the this adaptation by um Sato and Yuasa was Nekojiro So. Which what, neko jiru is like cat soup, and it's kind of a a play on words of um, like jiru doesn't mean it's I don't know it's like a little jokey sounding thing, but the uh, so is like red with the kanji for grass, so it's called neko jiru grass or cat grass cat soup grass in Japanese. But um, I don't know if there's any co- <laughs> correspondence. Like I don't know that one eats grass, but um, you uh, in colloquially in Japan you type the kanji for grass to say LOL, um, because, oh, <laughs> because man. the word, uh, what I means like laughter. And like, so you type like big W's that so you see this on like Nico Nico Doga or Nico Nico TV. I don't know what it's called now, but like you see like a bunch of W's running across the screen. That's like Japanese LOL for like mm. laughter, but then like a, a field of grass, it looks like a lot of W's. And so you just type like the kanji for grass. Right. And so, um, when I see that, I, it feels a little tongue in cheek. I don't know if it's intentional. It probably isn't because this was like the early two thousands, but like 
reflecting on it now, there is like a dark comedy element to it. I'm probably just talking out my ass as a white person, but yeah. the- It's cartoon uh, feelings. It's not cartoon facts. That's yeah, it's you. like hard for me to see that kanji now without being like, ha, yeah. <laughs> damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so, but it's kind of a stylistic diversion, right? Like, and, and also funny because there's a lot of water in it, but there's, yes, yeah, some stuff to talk about with this animation that I think was really interesting from the context of like Neko Jiru's life and that, um, and like the changes that were made for, like in the, it is by and far less gruesome. Like it is still pretty gruesome, but much less gruesome than her original works. And also in her original works, usually um, Nyako, the like older cat, which was kind of her self-insert, was the one leading the action. Um, and in this in this movie, Nyako is in sort of like a catatonic half-dead which feels intentional. Oh, totally. I feel like that's the thing of it, how it's kind it's kind of looking at her from the outside, like this story, yeah. or um her place in her own little her own little world that she's built. Because we get we get like interesting and this seemed very of the time the ability of animators to kind of create really cinematic point of view shots that I remember watching this and having not really seen much of that, like in American animation, you would get it sometimes, or there would be like, um, like it feels like it's mod something modeled in 3d and then drawn over or something. You know what shots I'm talking about? Like where this, the wind spirit kind of like comes into the house. Yeah. Like it, it feels like just almost kind of almost rotoscope ish kind of in a way mm, that it looks yeah. like footage. And all the like changing perspectives really like dra draws that in because like normally yeah. we don't we don't really know how to see animation with move, moving characters, moving props and also like a, a character, like a uh, a camera perspective shifting like as all of that happens at the same time. Yeah, there's just an interesting thing going on here where it's like you can kind of call this a surrealist piece and the style of animation changes slightly every once in a while that kind of, it, it's like a cool thing that we champion like a Spider-Verse for doing, knowing that aesthetic and texture evokes a different feeling, even if you're telling like a same story. Like the, the way this jumps through, it looks like kids art. And then it looks kind of like, you know, anime in a generic cute animal way. And then it kind of looks like Salvador Dali for a little bit. You yeah, know. let me get like a Bill Plimpton yeah, sequence. Oh, yeah, that, totally. Yeah. Um, I just think the way it does, it moves from those into each other. It's not, um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's ever jarring. Like I, it took me a couple viewings to actually start to think of it that way. It's almost like moving through art movements, which I think is cool. Uh, it's just kind of adds this other layer to it that the animation and production and the you know budget having more people than just like one artist alone in a dark room uh it's just something that you could only really do with like a production that i think is like a cool addition to to this world yeah and in those moments i can also kind of see like the i'm, I'm gonna put it on you also but like the in the same breath as like saying it is a tribute Neko Jiru, it is, it feels like um, they're taking this opportunity to really like geek out on animation and yeah. also like put their own, their own obsessions into it uh, while they're at it because like it's going to be a visual feast. And so um, it, it, it seemed like they were using this as an opportunity to do a lot of play mm. 
which I, I think is also like a strong suit of Yuasa's work. And so it feels very, it, like, it works really there's well. There's a part, there's a part where they're on the boat and then there's a fish and then the fish like turns into a, its own thing where it's like walking <laughs> and then the yeah. samurai, like guys come out and like cut it up into pieces and all this stuff. And I was like, Yuasa did this whole part. This was all his idea. You can tell from the animation style, it becomes really smooth and like, rounded and it's such a non sequitur and i think mm-hmm. there, it's like around the same part that this like pterodactyl or something comes and like picks up a body and puts it in a nest and feeds it to its babies and then all the babies like poop out of the side of the nest and i was like all of this is just this is exactly what he did in that adventure time episode it's 100 percent the same thing the angles that you're seeing and how crazy it was and it felt like i don't know i don't have any uh, narrative or like emotional things to ascribe to it but i was just like there he is there's yeah. my boy doing his stuff that i know him for mm-hmm. and i would just like i would bet so much money that it was you know, him just like it's like it's so flavored with his individuality of like the stuff that i've seen him do elsewhere mm-hmm. it's pretty cool yeah <laughs> great job <laughs> yeah very like yeah that that whole like kimono zume like condensed into like a 30 second <laughs> uh there, it's it's kind of the same, like once you start to talk about what it means to make something like this, it really is no different than any other great animated feature because like there's the story elements which often conceal just the pursuit of the illusion of life. And like you're saying, that's kind of all this is. Some scenes is like, how do we make it really feel like these cats are on the ocean and let you feel that you can try to ascribe like a, a Western or Eastern philosophy or whatever to any individual scene, but really most of them are probably like, how do we make somebody feel like they're there in that moment or like they, they can sense the, the physics of it? That I think is like so nerdy to try to pursue. And I uh, love it. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's like, a, a, it's different. It's what I crave. It's yeah. what I want. Yeah. It's like a different type it, of storytelling. It, I feel like a lot of kinship with it as like I, I feel like I'm having a conversation as an artist to an artist while watching it yeah because it's not it doesn't feel like it's made for an audience at all it feels like it's made out of like the pleasure of wanting to make it and and like wanting to make it for the people who appreciate mm-hmm. the same same things that the creators like are in love with before I, I kind of want to go through the, this is just sort of one of those movies that like the more you talk about it the dumber you sound and the further away you get from any truth but I do want to talk about yeah, some the of the scenes because the- off the boat <laughs> I want to go through some of the scenes, but before we get out of like general production, I want to just point out the the voice acting and the sound mixing and all the audio is so important to the feeling of this, especially right from the top. Just the strangeness of like the squeaks, the lack of dialogue, the way like the humans in the alley talk in their like little gurbly voice. Uh, and even just like the clicking talk, the, the, all the kind of Foley art. It, it's just all really good and has like a, a very unsettling feeling. Yeah, like I don't really feel like we skip over audio a lot of the time with stuff like this. I think like we this, do you know? because a lot of it is fairly. Yeah. Low. Like, yeah, this was like, is there music in this? I don't remember music. And I'm not saying that there isn't any. It's just mm-hmm. like I remember like the sound of the ocean like flooding the entire world. Like right. I remember that. I don't, rem- I remember the sound of like scissors snipping off a guy's legs and arms. Uh, I don't there, remember. There's a lot of room. <laughs> Yeah, I think of the the lady in the circus going. Ah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's <laughs> no like bad music that bleeds it all together that gives you a feeling. It's like it kind of leaves you there with like certain, like the so- the softness of their feet when they're walking. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, that's really nice. And then a, a human makes a sound and you're like, ooh. Like it, yeah, no it, thanks. Um, Hard it goes back and forth when they're when it's like raining on the boat when they were like on the boat initially and there's that beautiful big shot of them like from the globe basically and it's like raindrops falling on the ocean but the the crests are like huge mm-hmm. you know what I'm ta- yeah. I'm like first of all yeah it great. looks like a crater storm you know or like a like an asteroid storm yeah, it kicks right ass. it's awesome and I'm like great job well done very good and then but there's just like the sound of the rain like hitting the roof of the boat and I'm just like Oh, I'm there. I don't know. Like that shit is for real. Like that just yeah. sounds so stupid. You're See, like, I don't even remember it because it's like so deep in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, this feels like it's really happening, even though it's very ridiculous. And like there was no boat be- a minute before, you know, and like, mm-hmm. but here we are. And it, I'm and I'm fine with it. Like I'm not questioning mm. it. Yeah. You want to throw some scenes at us? Uh, yeah. Well, I feel like right off the top, the opening of um, Nyoko in the, the bathtub no, yeah, no. Who's the who's the boy? Nyata. Nyata. Okay, sorry. This is going to yeah. be me through the rest of no, this. No, yeah, I'm, I've, I've spent twelve <laughs> right. years memorizing these two cats' names. Like <laughs> so that, uh, I think, as I get a little older, being like in my forties now, and um, like you get, I, I don't have kids, but you, you just your mind starts to get precious about them just naturally, and the idea of like a a little boy like falling in the bathtub like that and clearly being unable to get himself out like that's a pretty horrific I didn't like way it. to open you know <laughs> I didn't no 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 it's like the most tense part of it like opens on like the scariest yeah scene, right like and everything else is better from that out, right from there on out because you're like you're not sure when that's gonna end mm-hmm. he's there for an uncomfortably long period of time and you're it's like you know it there's there's a natural point where we as an audience expect for that scene to break and it goes about twice as long oh, as yeah. you would expect it to yeah and then it's broken by like another short scene or two, and then he finally gets out right. of the bathtub, and you're not even sure like what the se- the sequence of events is there, you know? Yeah, it's an amazing opening, and I think it speaks to this idea like the mundanity of real life can be so much scarier than any weird shit you want to throw up on screen. Like yes. this, this yeah. scene is in beyond scary in ways that mm. other stuff later that's like horrific theoretically is it yeah, just easy right yeah but i think yeah. i actually laughed when like the interstitials between those scenes are like the other uh, sister cat like ill or something you right. know in a in a bed uh in a separate room and then we go to like the doctor sitting there mm-hmm. and he's like she's dead but it's just like a speech bubble with like a little like angel cat <laughs> yeah with her like wings <laughs> yeah <laughs> diagnosed she's dead i loved that she like opens her eyes after her soul, like half of her soul gets put in, and the doctor just goes, "Ah." Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think this opening bit is also a great study in um, how point of view plays like s- such a major role in how you engage with a story. Because I think something like a, an iconic Disney film, you never really think about the point of view of the story. It's just sort of like an omnipresent. Uh, narrator watching Aladdin like go about his day but this the way it shifts around it constantly begs the question it's like who's dead who's not dead where are we who's observing who at any given moment I think that's just um Mm. that's kind of that type of artisty thing that you can only really do in a, a piece like this it's not really playing to the crowd you know like we were saying this kind of is serving uh, itself as a piece of art and like you can engage with it if you want or not it doesn't really care but I feel like that game of point of view is usually kind of fundamental to either alienating or like connecting with an audience member in an interesting yeah. way and if you can get on board with that 
and be okay with the question constantly being out there of like, who am I? What is this? Who's my uh, guy? Yeah. <laughs> where am I? Yeah, where am I? So. Yeah, and like the dream, the sort of like, I think just the perspective that that where you are, like you as the camera, where you are, like makes it feel like a dream, which is very intentional mm-hmm. because so many of these segments were taken from Neko Jiru strips that were inspired by her dreams. Right. And also, like, I just wanted to say this. It's like, we're not used to seeing anime like this, right? We're normally used to seeing anime shot like it's an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like characters walk in, it zooms in on a face that's talking, right? Maybe there's some action. But like this whole thing, it, it's it's like the 2D equivalent of VR. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's very much a game of uh, like 2001 was big for playing with stuff like this because it felt, I think, new to audiences and creators, I think. Um, and I think it's interesting that we see Nayako's like room. It's like we're, so we kind of fly in on this wind and then we observe her from like a drastically mm. high ceiling. I think that all that stuff is just very, uh, I don't know. See, this is, I'm just hitting a yeah. wall already. Fucked up. <laughs> it is like, unnerving. It's, I, I was rewatching like the beginning of it right before this. And I, I was reading all these theories about how like, oh, Nyata actually died in the bathtub. And then like, and then the way that it's cut, like it does kind of seem like that's the arc. But my counter theory would be like the period between Nyata in the bathtub and then Nyata, like, because when he comes out of the bathtub, he's already got the soul in his hands. So mm-hmm. the way that I'm reading that scene is like a near-death experience where he encounters that like bodhisattva that's taking his sister yeah. away. And and that like in that moment they were connected in this like higher plane of death, but I also don't think it's that serious. I think right. it's like kind of like it's it's not supposed to be linear in that way. Um, but but I think like the the way that it's shot feels a lot like when people talk about near death experiences where they see themselves like above themselves in the room, and like that perspective of the character that is maybe dead. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of coming in and like making that connection. Like this whole thing, the more I look, and I'll, I have it playing in front of me right now, just to like, that's <laughs> how I remember shit that happened in yeah. this stuff. So I usually do it when we're like doing any episode of anything. But I actually noticed this last night because I didn't rewatch the whole thing again, but I skipped through it a little bit just to see parts again that I wanted to see like immediately afterward. And um, I noticed that at the beginning of this thing, the sister kind of like dies and this guy, uh, the Wikipedia says, Jizo comes and like takes her spirit away. Mm-hmm. So he's like walking outside of the home with her spirit. Jizo. 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 You Jizo. Know. Chester Jizo. And um, Nyata uh, uh, is like, I'm going to follow that person and get this soul back. And they have like a bit of an altercation and then they end up like pulling her soul into two pieces. And mm-hmm. he brings one half back to the home and like puts it back in her body. Uh, but as he's walking away, this Jizo character is like, mm, this flower in a speech bubble. Yeah, the Thinking, orange This poppy. is important. Yeah. And I noticed, and I can't remember if it's before or after this, actually. I think it might be before this. It's really early in the short. There's this, like, long sequence outside the house where... I it, know what you're talking about, because I noticed that today, too, yeah, where and the flower is, like, like it plants yeah. right at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, it's in the yard. Yeah. Like, it's in the yard very close to outside the house. And yeah. I was just like, oh, shit. Does that mean so? I think it's a hint to us because like the first time I watched it, I had no fucking idea that there even was a plot. I just thought it was some brain garbage, right? Like some very delicious brain garbage. But yeah, Um, but uh, yeah, I I think like, I mean, I was 
like 12 or 13. So maybe cut me some slack here, but I definitely had to just like look up a synopsis and an analysis like the next moment because I didn't realize there was like a travel for the soul, which is really obvious now. The Yeah, like I, I kind of feel like those moments are there like more as a key for the audience to like associate the action yeah. because they're it's like the, the plant and payoff thing, right? Where it's like if, if the flower comes out of nowhere, you're like, what the fuck is that flower for? You know, but it does like it does reappear throughout this series throughout this like series of I don't know, maybe just like the, the first two parts in the beginning, but then like at, at the end. Right. As well, yeah, I think that I think it sh- well. It shows up at least three times that I'm aware of because mm-hmm. of that. It shows up at the end, That's that shot at the beginning, and like in the speech bubble. Yeah, and then we're gonna yeah. watch it a fourth time, and it's fucking everywhere. And we're like, whoa! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Drink every time you see the flower. <laughs> I love Jack Daniels. So, <laughs> oh god, yeah. Okay, so now we return to the house after this opening bit, where we kind of we we get I don't know. It's not like the stakes of the story or anything, but we get the boy reawakening, and this is like that kind of the sixth sense type of thing where it doesn't seem like anybody can see him, which kind of hints at this idea that like, maybe he is dead, but also it could just be about how like parents don't so many, I feel like we, we talk about like when he comes out of the tub and then he like walks through the kitchen and his parents are like, I'm like, his dad is just drinking right on the floor and like, doesn't respond to it. But it's not an uncommon kid. Like if this is a story about kids, most kids stories are about how kids are in in pursuit of something parents cannot perceive. Because as you get older, you just sort of Mm. lose touch. Uh, You start losing your empathy for the world or whatever. So it's like a kid adventure can be exciting and fun and free in a way an adult adventure can't because they can't see like the magic. They know about taxes. Yeah. So like these two young characters are about to go and really see like the gods and whales and whatnot, right? All the um, standard stuff you would expect. Yeah, and just and not care about it at all, like the entire journey. Like they don't, they're completely ambivalent <laughs> right. to everything happening around them. You know? Yeah, there is no sense <laughs> Like in the of same way you would wonder. be in a dream, right? Where you're like, well, that's a whale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. It is, it is dreamlike in that way. And uh, maybe that in that kind of Lynchian idea where there seems to be like a cold distance, but that's usually how a dream really feels. Like you actually yes. can't engage with yeah. it. You just kind of accept it as you see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the you circus just sort of... feels like that so much to me because. Oh, the circus scene is my favorite. And also, like, this... second most upsetting. Like, when that bird is going. Yeah, it's. You know, I that, found that shit super hurt. upsetting. Yeah. When they're clearly, like, torturing this animal. There's this. So they go to this freaky circus in, like, a whale tent. Yeah, the I don't big know. Whale circus, it's really cool. Guess, like, right? the design is really excellent. And there's, like, a wizard doing all this crazy stuff. And he cuts up a person like he cuts up this whole lady into a bunch of pieces like flings the pieces around and then it's like Bloop, she's back it's fine and i was like yeah that's fine i don't care there's like rains of blood like showering i was like yeah the blood like splatters on them as it there's like a circle of blood and then like the the everybody in the audience is just like little bloopy blops and then the two the two cats are in the front like with their little paws up on the divider like trying to get closer and yeah and the blood like splats them on the face he's <laughs> just like well, bam like she's back everybody's like yeah that's awesome and I'm like whatever cool I enjoyed that mm-hmm. then this bird shows up it's this massive bird with a transparent body that's full of like clouds like roiling clouds yeah it's like a ziploc bag with some with some like uh zip, uh, with some rubber bands around it yeah they have like a and rope then, like, around a, its with tail a trumpet coming out of it that's the bird. around its leg and they're pulling it tight mm-hmm. and which is caught and it's like spitting out like beautiful oh yeah it's full of clouds also yeah. yeah it's like a precipitation it's like clearly in distress and i was like huh i'm gonna remember this like i <laughs> this is the part that affects me 
Mm-hmm. I don't care about that. That was a cool thing earlier with all the blood and stuff. And that was like a fun moment. But like, this is the part where I'm like, ah, like something's wrong. And well, it is very disturbing. I kind of want to like plant this idea real quick before we get to the other scenes. But there is like, like, I think that this is something that like, uh, Sato and, and Yuasa put into this because I don't think Neko Jiru like gave a fuck but like there is a lot of like this reoccurring theme of like desecration of like the world around us and and um what's the word like abuse of resources and indulge overindulgence and that and that causing a downfall right because like the the bird is the bird is like this ziploc bag full of precipitation and then they like they all like pull this thing tight around its leg and its leg like snaps off like an orb. And then out of the spot where it was uh, being constrained, the clouds, it starts to like condense the clouds inside turn into like rain clouds. And then there's thunder and water and the bird is like spitting out rainbows and everybody's cheering. Um, And so they're like, I'm getting like this. They are fucking with nature and like killing a God, if you will, um, for the entertainment of just like people. Right. Like it's really trivial, like what they're getting out of it. Um, But that like that sort of thing comes back over and over again, where like a scene transitions because something catastrophic happens or something really damaging happens because somebody tried to get entertainment out of something that actually had consequences. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of exploitation. The the elephant scene is what I think about, too, is like Mm -hmm. they're just like sipping and and diving into the elephant in the desert and then it dries up and they're like, oops. Right. Yes. That part really, (laughs) honestly, I I was like, at least they were trying to find more water. It was like the one. That one made me very sad, that scene. It was like clearly struggling and they're just like broing down, having a great time drinking this elephant's body water. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he's drying up, they try to like dig up more water out of the ground to give him. And then at the last one, they like he's like, oh, I found water. Like, I finally hit Pater. Like, I hit water, and he comes up, and the elephant's just, like, gone. Mm-hmm. And they're like, huh. <laughs> it's like, I hate this. It's just, it's yeah, so sad. It hurts. And their pig kind of fits in the same category, too, right? Because eventually oh, the they- the pig. They... At least he got a cut. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He did, he did get a little bit. I thought, but that is so disturbing. Yeah. Like, the, the thing I find most disturbing about that, because there's something kind of not disturbing about their interaction with the pig initially, where it's, I mean, like, yeah, he eats a piece and he's fine. He's, like, got his piece of himself and he's fine. But the way that he's like, hey, there's fish we could eat. And they the cat just fucking body slams him and is like, I'm taking. Yeah, and starts I'm pulling his clothing meat. off. Yeah, like, yeah. and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what does that mean? I hate this. And he just throws the fish by the wayside. Like, mm-hmm. rejection of the fish. Don't need that. But I'll have. To be fair, they are they are full of shit, though. That's like, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I actually didn't realize that that whole sequence where the fish jumps back into the water, the one I was talking about earlier that's, like, very Masaki Iwasa, and this fish jumps back in the water, and then he's, like, just got his bone body but his fish head, and he's following what is obviously, like, the shit boat. Mm-hmm. It's, like, raining shit into the water, and the sky <laughs> I did is not, all, like, I, like, I didn't get it either oh my God. until, like, watching it again, sitting here, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is about, like, this is the fish's, like, whole existence. <laughs> I was watching that scene right before this, and I was like, this feels like something important, You're but like, I can't put my it? finger on it. Yeah, he's, he's chasing those turds. 
And then you like, then we cut to this weird scene where this is where I think I can, I can encapsulate this in a very pithy way that surely doesn't actually encapsulate the whole of the film. But the, the, we just cut to what is probably not the same fish dead on the beach, like bone body fish head. And the cats are there with their whole cat family, like having a beach day. And I think it's Nyato, probably the younger brother, like eats its eyeball out. And then his mom is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, damn, this is just about like the cycle of life, sunrise, sunset, <laughs> like all we are is dust in the wind kind of a thing. And I'm I'm sure that that's, you can't pare down this just to that, but I like, that's the most obvious thing in play. Mm-hmm. to me it is like life and death neither matters is kind of like the overarching theme yeah it comes from this movie and also just like the entire legacy that Nekojiru left behind because like in in that story we were talking about earlier she just repeatedly was like i'm not afraid of death i don't care like um and that sort of ideology just like it emanates from everything related to her right mm-hmm. this sort of like trivialness to life it felt like she just wanted to go and like this is such a yeah. way i really like struggle with this whole thing just trying to figure her out because like i know what it's like to be extremely depressed but i don't know what it's like to just be so like i don't like this and i'm like a spiky person who's very mysterious and like nobody can figure me out mm. and then i just like mysteriously Oh, the Hedgehog's Dilemma, like from the famous um, anime. (laughs) Oh, we'll have you on for this. Genesis Evangelion. (laughs) Second episode. We definitely need to do one. Um, uh, But like there was a quote. I'm trying to remember who said it. I think it was Yoshiaki, like her friend, but I'm not 100% sure. It was in this documentary talking about it. And he was like, I just, it probably wasn't him, just on second thought. I, I don't know who it was, but he was just like, I, he, she could never be murdered. Like, if she was going to die, I feel like this is oh, exactly yeah. how oh it my would God. have to be. Like, she was going to go like, on she's definitely going to die, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it just seems right and for it was, her. He was just like, I could never imagine, like, somebody killing her. Like, it, she, it, she, it just couldn't happen to her. Well, something like that. Yeah, so like, she's going to kill it. Like, she's going to kill herself, I guess. Like, that's the it natural was just like, It was just like, nobody was surprised. Even though it came out of nowhere, no one was expecting it. She gave no indication. And then she did it. And a lot of people that who knew her were like, yeah, that sounds right. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like she just kind of, like, lived in this state of, like, because su- she had made suicide attempts before the success. Oh, I hate to describe it that way. The successful attempt. And like, yeah, it kind of seems like she was just constantly in this like elevated state of like distress with the world Um, where like the people around her found it so normal that there was no like obvious moment to check in. It was just like, that's her. How she is. Sooner or later it was going to happen. Yeah. Which I don't know. Like I, I struggle talking about suicide here's some Kelsey's hot takes is like I I have like gotten two points where life became so painful that it felt like that like an escape made sense to me and and like if somebody has spent their entire life just like with an incredible amount of contempt for the world around them and like being sad and being upset and also being stressed because they're trying to make deadlines too like the cherry on top once that becomes all your world is I don't I don't know that it becomes like it, it, it seems to become a sensible decision in a way. Like the, I'm sure that like, you know, if, if, if things were slightly different in her life, then it wouldn't have come to that. 
But also I can understand why escaping her life like made sense to her and the people who knew her Um, because it seemed like she was not having a good time. Yeah, I don't have an answer for what this could be. But when I was reading about this and like watching these documentaries, I was like, it just feels like if she had had access to different resources that maybe something would be different. Mm. And I don't know what that is. And sometimes there are more obvious situations when yeah if she had been able to go to www.betterhelp.com but yeah shout out betterhelp.com i've never used betterhelp and i probably never will (laughs) (laughs) she's just the most interesting person i think i've read about in a long time where i was like i don't know what's wrong like and a lot i can at least like read like i've been here like i've had like brutal depression like i've been to really dark places i'm like okay i get that and i can see that in other people but her i'm like i don't i don't relate in the same way and i so i can't i legitimately can't understand you like i can't pretend that i do mm-hmm. so i don't know and what she didn't really seem to like express sora you know so how do you how do you make contact with that when she's not evoking the emo- like at at its core, there is probably a lot of sadness and a lot of like injured injured parts to her that generally when you do get mental health help, you have to acknowledge those parts and treat them. And it seemed like her her interface with dealing with that was anger. Yes, like I didn't know if we were gonna bring it up, but the in that um, passage from her friend like he mentioned a couple incidents that I found like legitimately very shocking she wasn't even good to her cat yeah, she beat her cat with a whip <laughs> yeah violently to the point that her friend was like yeah this is absolutely animal abuse and the cat doesn't listen to me or her husband but always listens to what she wants because he's terrified of her because she's like actively attacking it and then one night her husband spent the night at his house because she attacked him with a box cutter which feels very next which, like, level to okay, me. Okay, like go off. And but... apparently no. <laughs> that was not. But so, and I have to say, I doubt that there was anything else that really anybody could do in that situation. But like to me in my privileged like 2023 existence, I'm like, oh, you should probably contact the authorities of some kind and like do something. But nobody did that. He just went home. He was like, she needs me. And like. It was definitely like a trauma by a trauma. What's trauma, trauma bonding, bonding yeah, situation, yeah. I think, where like they were definitely in an abusive relationship with one another that was probably m- more abusive from one person than the other. From what we know. <laughs> um, <laughs> from, yeah, from, I mean, it, yeah, they, I mean, they both like seem to have their own shit going on, but it does seem like she was like incredibly aggressive and also like, you know, I mean, people get along in different ways with each other and like, they seem to have some sort of connection that, that superseded all of this emotional turmoil between them. But she like, she was cruel and she was cutting and I think her friends understood the way that she communicated. But if I knew her, I would probably not like her. I guess it's like what it comes yeah, down I find to. Like if, if I saw her on the street, I would be like, Oh, she seems unpleasant and like a person I don't want to, you know, like, uh, it only takes yeah, one time she was, to attack she was bonked up before I yeah. am like, we are not friends anymore. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like, ha- like with in my experience in like abusive situations, and I also think like they're like at the time. I don't know if this is a difference between like our culture, the culture in Japan at the time, and also just like the mid nineties. Like, I think like interpersonal abuse was just kind of a part of people's lives, and you got used to it, and you learned how to coexist and 
cohabit with it. And it, yeah, it seemed like it was just kind of a feature of their relationship. And it didn't seem like that there, there was like any alternative to them. Yeah. But that's why I think ultimately it was like, it wasn't surprising that what happened happened. But if there had been other alternatives, yeah. maybe something could yeah. have been different. And yeah. there's no way of knowing. But. Well, I feel like the character of uh, Nayada in the way it's. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to talk about the card. Back, back to, to the it. Cartoon. No, sorry. <laughs> I think that's fine. I was going to uh, say, isn't it fun that he yeah, jumps so anyway. into the elephant's butthole when he jumps into <laughs> the water elephant from behind? Ha <laughs> ha. And when she drinks a little ball of water, oh, so cute. Well, I feel like the way they deal with her character, um, the way we just sort of watch her be unresponsive for most of it, and then she's kind of revived and gets, and then, you know, well, we'll get to the end when we get there. But I, I feel like it's such an outsider look of trying to paint a picture of what the world, what the makings of the world that she saw in her comics was. Because we, we kind of get a lot of behind the curtain. Like, uh, I think it's interesting, like back to the circus for a minute, this kind of godly, like enactment played for entertainment. I, I'm, it's interesting because I don't really know. I don't know enough about anime and manga to really know where Western influence fits in a lot of this kind of stuff, because I it seems like this is very like Western mythy type of stuff going on. Yeah, in a lot of I'm this. getting big Dumbo vibes. Yeah, exactly. Like it feels like things that have been done by famous American creators. We see things that look like an arc. We see things that look like a god. Uh, but then we see things that aren't quite familiar to like a Western eye. Uh, I always just think that's really interesting with this. It's almost like I don't, I don't get the language. And this came up when we did um, Tokyo Godfathers, their interpretation, the director's take on what Christmas means, where it's not as spiritual as it is an aesthetic. They just sort yeah. of paints you it. You have done anime before. Yeah, yeah, we've been there a little bit. But it's kind of that idea of- Yeah, I was like, Kira. this was not our first anime. I don't know like what me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just sort of like- uh, Did the, any of these count? I don't the, know. The fun thing for me with this is- trying to think about what resonates with like a spiritual or a cultural belief that's very old and something that maybe is draped on by more like pop culture or like mm. taking in a lot of Western media and just being influenced. Cause like a lot of anime and um, art that makes it to America is usually stuff that's also been influenced by America at some point in the creator's lives as well, you know, cause it just makes it easier for us. So I don't know. That's sort yeah, of like... Yeah, one could say that there is a relationship between the two cultures and they they have a complicated history <laughs> with one another. Yeah, and it's fun to see people like yeah. sort of comment on... It's just interesting to look at like YouTube comments on this stuff because sometimes someone will like go off about like... Oh, I didn't even oh, the, Well, it'll be like uh, an engagement will be like, oh, this is the arc. Here's why it, it's this and this thing and the butterfly, this and that. And someone's like, I don't know. Here in um, Asia, that's just a boat. Like someone will just <laughs> shut it down instantly. Um, and it's yeah. like either yeah. one could be 100% right or neither could be. Yeah, I mean, two animals on a boat, you know? It's like, how do you How, how do you not, not like a well, pirate? I think like Noah and yeah. his ark, hello? <laughs> uh, again, like I'm just like a white American here talking about this, but like in, like they're Shinto in Japan, right? Where you're used to having a much larger pantheon of spirits, yeah gods, whatever. Like, I think that the Christian mythos has kind of become 
in the same way that we have like cryptids and superheroes, like catalogs of like mythical things that are interesting and fun. And we can keep like a complicated Wikipedia, like a Wikia Mm -hmm. of like all of these different things. Like I think that the Christian mythos has also become like a part of like the the fantasy mythology of like the country because it has like permeated so many different forms of media. Like again, we'll talk about Evangelion, right? Like, (laughs) um, it's like, you know, like, it's, I mean, I've never, like, I grew up Christian, but I just never, like, really under I never got it. I was, like, too dense to understand, like, religion as a kid, so now I don't mm. do that. But I'm, you know, talking out of my I ass here. It's like, the, the, yeah, I know, I think it worked out for me personally, <laughs> but they're, like, you know, as an outs, like, I think about Catholicism a lot in the same breath as, like, Soulsborne games, where there is, like, this crazy oh, yeah. mythology <laughs> to them. And, like, I just, like, imagining myself, like, in the Far East, seeing Catholicism and being, like, whoa, like, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And then just, like, pulling stuff out of it and making making it into something. And I think that's, like, a lot of the symbolism that we're reading as having a lot of meaning to us is just something that has, like, become an icon and become, like, a, like a an object to like use right this is exactly With- how we use like greek mythology yeah greek and roman myth- like it's literally everywhere yeah. all the time and everything to the point that i think people have it's wrapped back around to people thinking that it's actually deep when it's just referential mm-hmm. but it feels like the same thing where you could be like damn i'm gonna name this character artemis so people know that mm-hmm. it means something or whatever like <laughs> yeah and it doesn't and i like you know like there is also the possibility that like the like Sato and Yuasa are just like fucking with Americans, right? Like they, cause, cause like when you're making something that you know is going to go international and you're like putting parts of another culture's mythos into your story, like you, you do have some awareness of like the read being different between the two. And like, I think we have to take it with a grain of salt knowing that like this, this series did not originate in the United States, which is like predominantly Christian. Um, but I don't think any of this stuff is like accidental, yeah. right? Like the, this, there's a lot of different layers to each piece of iconography. And I think like the, it was their intention to like make people come out of it with different feelings. Mm-hmm. And so using like extremely loaded symbolism, you know, things that like, you know, icons that do appear in dreams because they have so many different meanings to so many different people. In, in that same sense, like you can take a lot of different meanings based on your own preconceptions of whatever symbol is being mm-hmm. used. God, I feel like I'm in an art school critique. Oh, right here, well, that, this podcast has big energy. We'll go to Sunday school uh, for a minute. Now, yeah, I don't know shit about Christianity. I'll just okay, say that. Here, here, <laughs> God. Speaking of the God in this, so if we're if if this is like a a world of this artist, like a world that uh, you know brought her where it brought her. Is this world controlled by a God? Because we see um, like the point of view of the God and he like something drops on the actual camera lens. Like it gets meta for like it's a second. It's blood, man. It's like yeah. the juice from inside the planet. That's so, the soup. It's the soup. <laughs> so that's the soup. Is, is the world like, a, you know, like a Christian myth, something that takes religion seriously is bound within the box of it right like those are the stakes if we're just playing with religion fast and loose in this is that like the true nihilism of of this whole thing is that like the gods are nothing is in control of whatever this world is you just flash out 
Like, is that is the god that drops the soup on the camera in control of anything in this? I don't think so. I mean, I think this is going to sound really They're stupid. They're just going through a kaleidoscope. I think it's a metaphor. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's my legitimate response is that, like, I don't think that they're necessarily... I guess I have to say up front that this is just my own interpretation, mm-hmm. which I feel like is obvious for a lot of the time when you're talking about something, but for this especially, because there is no text. So I can't be like, what clearly is happening is me. But how I am reading it is that it's more just about like, well, existence and yeah, how like we have no control, but I don't think there's like any, I don't think there's a religious subtext to it though, where there is like a cruel God or any kind of God like manipulating Mm -mm. the stuff. I think it's more just like, this is it. And shit is bad, which I do think is what gets to the heart of like, if you read any of her work, it really seems like, oh, this all, and I'm gesturing widely to like the entire universe, mm. fucking sucks, and I hate it. Like, I actually, that is the energy <laughs> that I get. So yeah, I mean, that's, no, that's 100%. It. We should have just said that and then ended the episode. Just like wrap it up because that's it. And I think she hated everything. Is really how I interpret except for Aphex Twin. except for EDM, Aphex Twin, and Jack Daniels. Yeah, <laughs> top three faves of all time. But and I really feel like there's that whole sequence. I think it's at the same time where there's like the clocks of time, like gears like grinding and going forward and backward. And they're covered in like people, like tiny little people icons. And it mm-hmm. just feels so much like not only is this just like so immense and this like big cycle that's just grinding on out of eternity. But it's just like you again, you are microscopic and minute and like nothing really matters. It feels very existential to me in that way. There's no like... God has a plan, whatever. It's more just like everything's really big and out of your control and like you're going to die. Like, and that's inevitable. But this is also where they find the flower, right? Isn't this the moment that she kind of like, like her eyes come into focus a little bit? Yes, like right after. Yeah. So it's like they kind of reach the darkest point and then somehow, and it's there that they discover, I don't know, like just something. Like there is, there's something like hopeful, I think, about this in the telling of it. Even though it flashes well, out of existence, at even the though end. there there is a scene right at yes, the I have end a thought about this. Takes all of that. That's away. true, but <laughs> like that's how I feel about it ultimately, and I'm curious to get your ideas. Well, on I, that. I the reason it feels hopeful is like the things that I remember, like the flashing out of the TV thing. Um, I I get it, and it is really bleak, but it's also like something I've seen done a lot with like nihilistic, like rebellious art, like. Just things that are about, like, the television being in control of something. It's just sort of a, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? So it's 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 a cool ending, but also, for me, it's not, like, the most, like, interesting thing about it. Like, I... I yeah, it doesn't feel satisfying, really. Yeah, it like, seems like we're at a half-hour mark and, like, here's a cool way. I but don't agree. Let me... I don't want to get to the end yet. I want to okay, talk I, about I some of the beauty. really stupid thing to talk about sad. with that. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to point out, like, the stuff that I love that makes this feel like um, along the way, like, sure, maybe it's just darkness at the end. But, like, there are things that are, like, worth observing. Um, the red water, like, when they're kind of standing on the map painting mm-hmm. scene, I just, like, love that It's beautiful, yeah. Shot. It's very unnerving, um, but yeah. it is very beautiful. There's something like, like um, I don't know. We were talking about this when we, like, did Arcane. When you bring in kind of a painterly touch it evokes a spiritualism to me because when you think about religious art, usually it's like these master, like these privileged artists that were like paid for by the church that created the like visions of gods because they had the budget to do it. 
Like when something's painted so well, like that feels religious to me, even though I might not know what religion it's speaking to. But I don't know. That water painting is very uh, like it's hopeful. That's so interesting. I love that because I didn't consider that because I'm like, it's blood. You know, oh, but like, okay. is, is this the it's frozen, hawk, like the Hawksai, like, yeah, 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 that he runs Where like, yeah, just, they kind of just stand on, like, they're it's almost like it's crystallized, yeah, yeah. I kind of, yeah, see I can that. hear that scene where he's like, yeah, it's quiet, yeah, like, not actually that part kind of reminds me of Fantastic Planet. There's a lot of little parts in this that have a little bit of Fantastic Planet flavor to me, yeah, right. There's something about the design of it, the way it's a type of animation where it's like a cell, clearly a cell on top of something else. Which that's only a thing you think about if you think about this stuff a lot or if you make it, you know? Yeah, like us. I don't know. <laughs> I think nerds. that speaks to the idea, like, if if you want to dissect this, the more we talk about this, the darker our mood gets. But if we just look at it, it <laughs> actually is, in. Uh, I feel it's encouraging, you know what I mean? Like, to just look at it and think about it on your own feels good. But to talk about it with friends makes everybody sad. I think that's just an that interesting forever. thing. <laughs> you know, and okay, so I'll use this as my segue to say, like when I watched this as a teen and also like at, when I watch it every other time that I watch it. <laughs> every I, time you watch it. <laughs> whenever I, and it's on mm-hmm. and I'm looking at it, uh, I I feel like it's a really cathartic watch for me because I think it, and, and um. You know, this was like a concept that I started thinking about during the pandemic because I read this article about how melancholia like felt to people with depression the same way that I can't even remember what the, what the comparison was, but it was like during the pandemic, um, I think people were unifying over like a shared depression. And like as somebody with lifelong mental illness Whenever I watch something that seems like it came out of that, it feels very cathartic because it is like an external, it's a way to externalize like internal feelings. And it is also this point of connection between you and other people who have had the shared experience. And like whenever I watch Cat Soup, I see all of that Mm. and it feels like it really resonates with me and it resonates with the parts of darkness in me and in my memory and in my upbringing that um, like I don't. I don't get to see that voice very often, but it feels very personal and it feels like it is like treating my experience with compassion that I don't ever get to experience. Right. So like when I am in like when I'm when I'm in a bad place, like watching cat soup makes me feel better. And it's not because of like the hopeful parts in it. It's because of like the fucked up parts. Like when I see some like some lady getting cut into pieces, I'm like, I get that. I feel that. Like I'm there with you, you know? (laughs) And it's like somebody had that feeling and they wanted to make it because it was important to them. And I feel it also as being important to me. So, so yeah, I think the whole thing just like, it feels really comforting. It's definitely like a comfort food for me. Yeah. I think that's a great point to, to say how art often um, like the pieces of it, they remember the things that said about a movement or like stand out is like an icon of a time are ones that add something to the language of like emotion, human emotion. And like you're saying, I felt like this, this thing represented that and like gave value to my feelings by, mm, by creating yeah. it and putting it out there in a way that stuff only gets made because someone thought it was a value enough to make it right. And that, will will connect with the people that that feel that way about the thing that's a circle of a thought that i don't know what <laughs> happened there i got dizzy 
And I have to wonder, like, I feel like this only got made because, well, I don't know. I mean, we know how much, like, shit media there is in the world now. Am I right? But, um, <laughs> like, to want something that is so, like, this is like a cult classic, quote, I don't know what that means, but people love it, but it's not a well-known animation. And um, it came into this world, like, not because it was like de- like heavily funded by right. Netflix, you know. It, was, it came into this world not because of like, I mean, probably there was popular demand, of course, but like it 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 feels like it was made because people wanted to mm-hmm. make it rather than like there being backing for it, there being like a d- demand for it. There was no like marketing pitch behind this. I yeah, feel like yeah, nobody yeah. went into a boardroom and was like, okay, picture this. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the the fact that it did get made was kind of a miracle, right? Like it it probably it was like the coalescence between like the tragedy of her suicide right. and like the popular demand for her media and also like anime was like finally being shipped to the US really regularly and there were people like watching it online and there were fan subs and fan dubs and all kinds of stuff happening on the internet. Like this was like YouTube was like kind of starting to come around around the time that this movie came out. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I wonder if it could have been made today because it just doesn't seem like there is enough of a payoff from a marketing perspective or from a funding perspective for something that is so like niche and deranged. Yeah. No, this is absolutely something that would be like kickstarted today, which I find kind of depressing. And and it would be kickstarted through Tumblr, <laughs> and it would be like it would be like people finding love together. Like you know, it's like it's no, it's so depressing, and it's just like no, we're gonna make something fucking depressing for depressed mm. people, and you're not gonna like it. You're gonna it's gonna make you feel bad. <laughs> Caitlin, Ira, the, the ending. Yes. So anyway, thanks. Now I can talk about this important thing, which is that all I wanted to say is that I put in, obviously, because I am a scholar uh, and I take this very seriously, I typed cat soup ending explained into google.com. But I wasn't expecting to find anything. And this is this is going to sound so lame and like I could not imagine a more annoying comment section than like what you just pulled (laughs) up. I did find several threads where somebody was like, here's a long like paragraph, two paragraphs about like this, whatever. What did you think? No comments. Like no no responses. So there was a few of those. And I just found one where one person was like, this is where I got the, um, I mean, it was kind of obvious anyway, but somebody was just like, this is definitely about like death mostly and like the experience of life, but how death is always an inevitability, da, 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 da. This is why, again, this is going to sound very pithy, but I am just curious what you think. Because when it ended, I won't lie, I was like, I actually knew that this is how it ended. I don't know how I knew that, but I'd seen it at some point before, only the ending. Fairly recently, I feel too, just by happening. It feels. So. It also feels to me like a clip out of Family Guy for some reason. <laughs> because it is a. Cl- you get no, that. I, I you get that feeling. Yeah, Family Guy. I didn't. It was not in Family Guy that I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, but 
It like plays before an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, actually, honestly, I it's think it's almost what, a catch. Like, <laughs> it might be that I saw it in the Lincoln Park FM or AMV because that's the first thing <laughs> that you like had mentioned to me about. So maybe that's why I knew. Yeah. I was like I've definitely seen this before. Onboarding um, materials. But yeah, at first I was just like, well, this is anticlimactic, and also like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. But watching it, I was just like, damn, I'm right. And this person who made this comment is right because it is literally just like, okay, I went to hell and back. Like I did all this stuff. I found mm-hmm. the flower. I brought you back to life. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, that's how I, that was the ending. And I was like, I feel bad. Like, I feel bad inside. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts on the ending because I do think it feels like, oh, yeah. Like, I guess I, at first blush, it feels kind of abrupt to me. But once I had started to think about that and read that one great Reddit comment from whoever posted it, I don't know. God bless. Great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like fuck yeah like no that caps that sums it up and i think it was i don't know to, to me that's like some somewhat profound knowing that her husband was involved in this and, and stuff like that because it's like if this is your thesis about what your wife went through and like all of the things that she made her work about and your final conclusion is like it just doesn't fucking matter <laughs> like ultimately what you do that to me means more than just like an edgy teen ending their like indie film in that way mm. i don't know like so to me it felt a little bit more gut punchy actually yeah no like you just it feels so personal then it feels like somebody writing a letter about some someone like a mutual person that you know that passed away in this like in this tragic way yeah and that their ending thought is like it just really doesn't matter like it who's thinking that though that's my question is it like the the little boy is he like who what character is i don't think it's about a perspective thing i think that's more like this is just a film's conclusion it's like we are all gonna die like it literally doesn't matter you can bust all the ass you want to like go to the underworld and like do this but it's essentially at the end of the day it's a waste of your time because like none of this is really here in any meaningful way breach yeah nothing matters No, I, you know, I was thinking, like, as you were saying this, like, my initial reaction to the ending as a tween was that, um, like, I felt really betrayed by the ending in that, like, it was that gut punch, gut punch sense. It wasn't really like, oh, I don't feel like it paid off for me. But like, it did feel so abrupt that I was like, wait, what? Like, what? Like, it was, uh, there are other series, wink, 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 this is an inside joke uh, that I'll talk about. I can't, <laughs> I'll shout I can't out later that, that have a about. similar ending where it's like, it's they just kind of pull the rug out from mm. under you. And reading about the friend's experience with Neko Jiru's suicide feels very, like it, there was kind of this like, like, I think you ask yourself, like, why did that happen? Like, why did it, ha- like, why did it have to end that way? You know? And it is kind of like this anticlimactic. I don't, it, it's, it's, it's unsatisfying in a way that I think like any end will leave you yeah. with. Cause there's never going to be like a large payoff when something ends. It's just, it either continues afterward or it's over. And yeah, and that, it felt like very true to form um, like this, this natural understanding of the the cycle of mm-hmm. life and like also the, the the truth behind like the emptiness that like there is you know in 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 most stories there's like this wonderful sense of catharsis and payoff at the end of something when something has been achieved but in real life and especially following a tragedy that's never the case really i mean there there are rewards to carrying through 
with certain things. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like there, there are ends that are satisfying, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, there is no, not really such a thing as a happy ending. It's more a contentment that follows you through ideally. life. And, and I think like, and ideally, <laughs> yeah, it's always, <laughs> um, it's a vibe, but yeah, no, like, um, like, you know, the, when you're in the, the throes of depression, like we all have this understanding, like, what's the point? Like, why, why should I even bother with something? Because in the end, it doesn't yeah. even matter. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> this was all just like one long, but anyway, I'm going to cut myself off because I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, but the ending feels, it feels really unsatisfying, but in a way that feels really true to what an ending is. Like there shouldn't be this like big sense of relief and payoff at the end of a story that is about depression, that is about death, that is about like these dark things. Because like in reality, like there is no catharsis that comes from these things. And so it feels very honest, um, but it did not make me feel good. (laughs) I think because you learned that uh, Nayata doesn't really have control over something for the last half over half hour you felt like he did have control oh, yeah, like he won at the end because you just if you describe literally what happens they arrive back in what seems to be like a cozy domestic safe space he goes to the bathroom only to come back and find like they're all gone yeah which is like that's the real bummer that little detail of him going to the bathroom and coming back like just doing a what a is that thing, like? A Monday thing. Being the youngest child and knowing you're going to be the last one to survive. Like, yeah, and this idea that if you close the door, you don't see a little kid doesn't like can't perceive the world in a way like a peekaboo game type of thing. I don't know. There's like these little things of like his perspective. That's why I keep bringing up to this idea of like the little things like the the water splashing on the lens, the turning off of the TV. This idea that something is switching it off. Is like, is that saying that something's in control or is it saying that there is not control and that it flashes out? I don't think there's an answer. I just think that you can kind mm. of, you can be the God in this story and jump around and be like, ooh, now I'm in the kid's point of view. Now I'm outside. Now I'm watching the TV shut off. Now I'm like eating the pig. Like you can kind of be any anywhere <laughs> in this story. So what I um, that's what I say when I go to the when I go delicious cast soup. I'm eating the now I am eating the pig. <laughs> Next time I eat tacos. But you know what? That, that is what I'm <laughs> I know it seems like we're at the end, but there's actually a part after this in the credits. I find that. Da, 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 yeah. Play, oh wait, no, play you're the right. credits. Yeah, the credits. Okay, I was actually going that to bring that up. Consistently makes me. Yeah, I love this little every... sentimental thing or whatever the hell it's doing. So it's like a music box or something that seems to almost be playing like. In my mind, it's going forward and backwards. Yes, and it's it, like I this think l- it is because it's copying the loop of the image. Yeah. Like the the little video clip is going forward and back. And then the credits are like rewinding. Yeah. But coming back is like updated. I'm pretty sure like credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really genius. And there, there's a weird thing here. This is the thing that kind of when I went back and watched it and got overly thoughtful of it because we had to talk about it for an hour and a half, this idea that this credit scene is like from the dad's point of view all of a sudden, which is like really Mm. interesting in a confusing way that we're spending all this time suddenly with seeing how the dad sees his family. I don't even know if that's conscious um, or if it just is like, here's a memory from their lives, but it feels like it's supposed to be the dad. Yeah, you know I think I mean? like it is li- like if you would take this scene literally, then it would be the dad. Yeah. But when I'm watching it, I can't help but think because it's focused on the girl and on the family. Like I actually 
I don't hate this. I love it, but I hate it in that it like makes my heart hurt yeah. to like think about this. Yeah, and, like, this it is does. almost like the most emotional I got yeah. watching this because I'm just like, it's just the husband being like, I'm trapped in this happy moment. Like I'm just hanging out in this happy yeah. moment where both of and us the girl are together, happy, where the cat's right? there. Yeah, everything's yeah. fine. And I'm like, I just can't deal with this. Like it's hard, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. It's such a short little thing, and I like. It, they're so it painful. is like it stands in strong, strong contrast to like the flashing out of it uh, at the very beginning, oh, yeah, where totally. the parents are ignoring right. the kids completely. Like there is no love between them. And then I, for what it what it says to me is that like that bittersweet. Like, do you ever? I'm gonna get really depressing here. Do you ever like ask yourself that someday when the thing that you had before is gone, are you going to be looking back on those memories and saying, "Wow, I wish I had." I think about that sure. every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> Literally every single day. Yeah, that's that's what that ending saying does to me. It makes me really sad because I think of like, you know, this is somebody looking back on a memory with more fondness than they knew was there in the moment. And it's they're replaying the scene because it like it is like a moment of like love and tenderness for Mm -hmm. them that does not exist anymore and all they have is this memory. You cannot go back to it. And I just I just think it's as it fucking uh, sucks. It, I'm like, good. I'm, I'm trying not to start tearing up right now. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's like from the, the artistic creative side of things where like, you know, you're in control of your story. I think it's interesting to think about this in kind of the realm of biopics because it's uh, it really is kind of the story of uh, an artist's tragic life, like through the guise of like art, art forms and aesthetic and like myth and religion and whatever in like just mundane life but um the way they kind of paint this picture of like the sad girl who her brother like shows her you know kind of this one last journey but then they're all gone but we still need to be reminded that she was once there's something in her that is happy because i i would think being in the moment when this was being made and when it came out it would be so sad to know that 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 famous iconic cartoonist took her life and what did what did we do to, i don't know i always think when when somebody dies of suicide like what did we do that put them in that place kind of when they're a cultural icon and i feel like this wants to just say like she was a person like all of us and she, she did have happy moments she she isn't as um she isn't just her final moment or something, you know? I mean, I think that is it. I don't... Yeah, she I lived a full life, that, right? That's what you would like, want. She's, she lived two years longer than I have. Yeah, I saw I had like, one, one year passed. She was 31, which I also find interesting. I feel like yeah. generically, even in just like media and stuff, it's like you're either a teenager or like a young... Yeah, she made it four years further than the other people on Wikipedia and the <laughs> 27 club Jesus. or whatever they say. Right, they exactly. It. See, that's the thing. Like all these people yeah. get painted with like their last thing. Like when you think of Kurt Cobain, it's like the photo of him on the floor of like his garage in the attic. And it's just like, yeah, but he wrote, a, he like wrote all these songs and we remember that, but it's like, you can't escape the dark shadow. I, I feel like somehow this director is trying to not let us only be there, but to like see, see more. I think so. You like know? I think if I had to guess, cause I can't possibly know. But I do feel when I'm watching this, I'm like, it almost feels like you're not supposed to be watching it. It feels like somebody working through the stuff. Yeah, it just feels like intimate. Thinking about that. Yeah, it feels very intimate. 
Um, but I do think it's mm-hmm. that because he clearly, that's why I found the way that people talked about her so interesting. It's like she had friends, like people admired her or were curious about her or just enjoyed talking to her. She had at least her. two friends. But also, yeah, at least, two. Yeah, at least <laughs> if not more, regu- just regular. Well, the three <laughs> of us at least have two friends. But Well, like they would describe her as oh, wait, so hostile I- and so chaotic yeah. and so violent and rude and like mm-hmm. arrogant. And she would make scenes in public and all of this stuff. And people just like still loved her and talked about her in a very humanizing way. And also like the things that she did enjoy. Like there, it wasn't that she just like mm-hmm. hated everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, and it's funny because it just sounds kind of dorky if you repeat yeah. it enough. But like, she also loved Jack she Daniels. Loved and Apex yeah. Twin so much that she was buried with a copy of one of his albums. She was buried with a copy they of Apex yeah. Twin at her funeral based on the stipulation of her will. Like she had passions yeah. like that. She she didn't want anything except to and be I think with that Apex. was and they did go out like their Yoshiaki says that she never danced like she would just sit and listen to the music and never listen to music together but they also like all went out to raves and were like into the rave culture and rave mm. scene yeah pretty she hard. did dance to Apex Twin so, according to him though when you're moved by the spirit and she also like knocked over a bunch of people trying to get yeah, to the front she, she yeah like, oh, like, I have to like, she was very chaotic and probably frankly terrifying a lot of the time but. They, they, she clearly uh, yeah. had some kind of appeal for some oh, people. Yeah. And even the way her husband talked about her was like, we weren't close. Like, there was a distance between us. Sometimes I would feel like she was all about her and I was like a bystander in her life. He would mm-hmm. say these things that feel very alienating. But, like, there was also something that kept them together. And he felt very tortured by what happened. Like, he's clearly spent a long time after the mm-hmm. fact reckoning with what happened and trying to figure out why that happened like why she committed suicide and uh, like that yeah. i can understand the struggle but also like it is there's a three-dimensionality to it then because it's not like you know she was such a terrible person like da 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 da. they're just like she did a lot of stuff that really sucked and was like kind of intense but mm-hmm. like also all of this like she was just very very complicated <laughs> how is the listening to you two yeah. tell uh, this story because i hadn't come up was is this a book or it's you like just an that. essay you about read her it. Be- uh, I think it was yeah, written I just, in a book. I, I, I like it was a passage in a book that he wrote at some Show, point. Yeah. Um, I think after his wife had also passed away. It just seems like a a, uh, yeah. a figure in culture. Like I, I I knew this was like adapted. I didn't really know any of the work other than like you know this half hour animation. But I just almost can't believe this isn't like an HBO series or something yet because it's like <laughs> the timing is right. All these little details of like early aughts, post nineties goth. Apex Twin, like, moody comics. Like, all this stuff could just be a series people would love to watch. It's just, I actually agree in a way that's kind of disturbing. Where like I, I, I wouldn't want that to be made necessarily now that I'm, like, too close to it. But that, like, there's something so charismatic and you appealing about her You could just see somebody latching onto it and pitching this. Yeah, she's it, fascinating. Yeah. I try. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like being super into the image of a person like I don't like celebrities whatever famous people of any kind I don't really like to engage with that a lot but I just couldn't help that documentary just auto played after it and I immediately was just like damn like I have to know more about this person she's just fascinating to me for some reason so I I completely understand that like it has all of this appeal and she seems so mysterious that you really do want to be like what is wrong like I can fix her kind of a thing I don't know (laughs) I don't She she feels very unique of a person. She does not remind me of anyone. 
And I think like Kelsey, you were saying at the top how you saw this so young. I think there's like a whole generation really of like you're saying, like this is popular, but in a weird way where it's kind of not, it hasn't been like run through the ringer. Like people don't reference it all the time, but you can see it in stuff like the, the way the cats are drawn, like the mood, the nihilistic energy of it. I see in work, other people's work, like all the time where I can't imagine they haven't seen this. So it, it just almost seems like oh, yeah, there should be like... more, like this should be a more prominent like figure for exactly the reason you were saying, like the story of this animation is like the story of like the artist I became in a way, or like the way I think about being an artist for, for you, like for me, but like I was older, but um, you know, I think it's, I think I like, <laughs> I love this whole conversation. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I think like this is probably like the last, my last like touchstone on this conversation, but um, like I'm coming into more of an understanding of her as a person at a good time in my life because like outside of work, which is where you know me, Cece, and outside of this podcast, yeah, we are not friends, by the way. We are coworkers. Um, (laughs) But outside of that, like most of my friends are indie comics people and that's the scene that she ran in. And like, my friends are in the American equivalent of like the books that she was published in, you know? And so she's like, not only like a figure in this community, but she's like a contemporary, right? Like nobody knew her because she's, she'd be like 55 now, right? I think. Um, and I, not that I don't know people who are 55, but I, but also like at the time, you know, Japan, the U S like disconnected, there was no internet, whatever there was, but whatever. Anyway, 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 she's yeah, like yeah. one of us, right? Like she, I know so many people like her and I could, I can pretty easily imagine like hanging out in a room with her and being like, who's the weird person in the corner that like, you know, (laughs) left my friend with a bunch of emotional baggage after a bad breakup. (laughs) Like she's, she's that person, you know? Um, And I like the, I think like my, my counterpoint to the HBO series thing is that like, I kind of feel like her story isn't sensational enough to be entertaining to like people outside Mm. of that world. Because, like, I, I see her story as something very intimate and something that I can see in, like, my my friends and the people around me. And I, like, can understand a lot of where she's coming from because I see my friends going through the same thing. And even, like, I was kind of talking about Nekojiru a bit, like, in this other Discord group with, like, a bunch of my comics friends. And, and they were, like, teaching me about it. Like, everybody knows who she is. Everybody's familiar with her work. Everybody has read the translated and untranslated stuff. Like, this, she she's, like, everybody knows her. Not as a sensational icon, but just as a contemporary. The, like, I I feel like she's really interesting because we can identify with her, but there isn't a lot about her story that is, like, interesting enough that I feel like people who don't know about comics, who don't know, who don't have experience with, like, mental illness or with, like, abuse or with, like, all these things that kind of, like, informed her life. I don't know that it would be interesting in that way. Like, I think you have to have a really profound empathy for her Mm. in order to really really like connect with the story and understand it. Um, which I think we all do by instinct of being artists, but the, um, but I, you know, I, I think that like at the end of the day, she's just like a normal person with a really sad story. And, and like, I, I, I would, if I was her friend, I would be really sad if like, you know, something got made it into like her, her crazy life, you know, it's like, cause cat, cat soup, Nico Jiruso is like such it's so quiet. It's so understated. And it doesn't, it never got big in a way that I think that she would be glad. 
Um, like the people who love it, love it for what it is, not because of what it's attached to. And, and yeah, you know, it's, it's not, it hasn't reached the point where she's no longer a human. Um, and she can be remembered as like the person she was, even though she might've been unpleasant. You know, she's just kind of a normal person doing the same shit that other artists do. (laughs) Damn, that's gotta be the end, right? Yeah, that's it. Well, that's all for now. Uh, Kelsey, thanks for joining us uh, before we turn the TV off. Uh, where can people find you? Or what do you, you want to plug anything? Or Oh, my goodness. Well, you can find me at KelseyBorsch.com. Uh, just, you know, Google me, I guess. I've got Instagram. I've got Twitter. I don't do anything good on Twitter, so don't look me up there. But, the, yeah, I mean, like, you can find me at uh, KelseyBorsch.com, B-O-R-C-H. Uh, you can also um, not find me. I don't. Why don't you go read her comic, <laughs> 1,000 Doors? It's on her, I think it's all... Go read my my nine-page yeah. long comic. But the art is really read. good. <laughs> yeah, go read it. And I'm it's, curious about what happens next. Surrealist wanderings. Um, and go, you know what, before that, go and read Umanek on the Nakhorni, <laughs> which is uh, really great, really great. It will level your empathy up and make you better at watching I don't know. soup. It's only 140 hours long. I don't know if that's true. I, I've seen some of it, and it hasn't unlocked the empathy yet. Well, that's because you started God, can six you just wrap up this in. outro? Yes. <laughs> Somebody has to edit this, and they're not getting paid. If you're enjoying the podcast, yeah, let me... <laughs> please you... rate us on Apple Podcasts. I'm skipping ahead. Leave a review, share us with your friends, or go to our Patreon. Anything else, Iron, before we leave? No. See you next time. Okay, bye. <laughs>